Hi, my name is Frederick Eckerman, and I'm your host today. In this episode, I'll be speaking about how to control your blood sugar after meals by the order in which you eat your food. This is a follow-up episode for the show with Martin Kremer, where we talked about our experiences with blood sugar. If you're not up to speed on the basics of blood sugar, it will make a lot of sense to hear that show first. Let's get started. So it turns out the order in which you eat your foods influences your blood sugar after your meals directly. But how did this finding come about? What exactly does that mean and does it even apply to you? Well, I'm glad I asked. So very briefly, what is blood sugar? Blood sugar is the glucose, which is a specific sugar, that's present in our bloodstream. We measure the concentration of it in venous or capillary blood. So that's a traditional blood draw from the arm or a finger prick like when you see type 1 diabetic measuring the blood glucose. The brain is partly dependent on glucose as its fuel source. Two, though blood sugar can be lethal, which can occur with overdosing of insulin injections, again, in type 1 diabetics. However, even very low carbohydrate diets, that is ketogenic diets, don't cause levels to become this low as the body can produce some of the glucose internally. So this is not something most people should worry about. And we have both a baseline um, blood sugar level, and then on top of that, um, rises in blood sugar after meals are determined by how much and quickly we absorb the carbohydrates we eat um, into the bloodstream after a meal, and how quickly we are able to transport it from the bloodstream into cells around the body. Any glucose that isn't needed for immediate ATP production, ATP being the cell's favorite energy-carrying molecule, is stored in muscle or liver cells as glycogen, glycogen being the storage form of carbohydrate in humans, or it's stored in adipose tissue by conversion to fat. So why should you care about blood glucose level and blood glucose control? So I discussed this to some degree in my prior episode with Martin. But very briefly, high blood glucose values after a meal is both indicative of poor glucose control and thus metabolic health. But it's also a direct cause of microvascular damage, meaning damage to the small blood vessels. So what's problematic here is both large variation in glucose levels and a high mean glucose over time. In other words, you want fairly low, stable glucose levels. High blood sugar is bad, okay? So part of optimizing your health should be to adjust your diet in order to make sure you minimize high blood glucose peaks after eating and that your blood sugar quickly returns to a stable low around healthy fasting values. 
So these levels are roughly 4.5 to 5, 5.2 millimoles per liter. Uh, that's 81 to around 93 milligrams per deciliter for the Americans. So like I said in the previous episode, it isn't quite as clear what levels to aim for with regards to post-meal levels. We know it's super important. Um, a good bet might be uh, that you want to spend most of your time during a 24-hour period between 3.9 and 6.7 millimoles per liter. That would be 71 to 120 milligrams per deciliter for the Americans. Um, I'll reference a study in the show notes that showed that this was um, achieved by healthy individuals 91% of the time. You probably also want to see return to baseline fasting levels within two hours after eating. Right, let's get into the meat of it. What we're looking at today is these studies where, which by the way will be in the show notes, where the order of foods has been tested to see if it has an impact on blood glucose and insulin readings after eating. And I'll be supplementing those studies with my own mini experiments on myself. So the background here is that there are several studies showing that taking a protein supplement prior to eating carbohydrates results in lower blood glucose levels than eating the carbohydrates without the protein. There are several possible and not necessarily mutually exclusive explanations for why this happens. So I'm just going to go through three of them here. So one is that protein ingestion facilitates insulin release. And in turn, this allows the body to quickly divert glucose out of the bloodstream and into cells, often ending up as glycogen stored. In other words, you're having an earlier insulin release when you eat the protein before carbohydrates. And this just means that when you eat the carbohydrate, your body's ready for it. It'll go straight into cells and not stay too long in, in the bloodstream meaning lower readings. The second proposed reason is that protein in the stomach can slow down the rate of gastric emptying. And this result in a slower uptake of carbohydrates through the intestinal wall and into the bloodstream. Again, this will result in less glucose being taken up in the same amount of time. So your blood glucose will, will rise slower. The third reason is that protein can increase DLP1 which upregulates both insulin sensitivity and production. Okay, so that's the background. Building on the findings just mentioned of protein facilitating better blood glucose control, a couple of studies have been conducted looking at whether it makes a difference what order one consumes foods in. The study populations in these studies are on the diabetic spectrum. Um, I should say type 2 diabetic spectrum. So they're type 2 diabetics or pre-diabetics. Basically, the study setups are like this. Participants eat the same meal of carbohydrate-rich foods, protein-rich foods, and low-calorie vegetables. They have 10 minutes to eat each part of the meal, and there's a 10-minute break in between eating these different parts of the meal. Then what they do is they randomize which part of the meal is eaten first, and all participants go through each of the three different conditions. In the first study, Sugar Light 2017, we're talking about type 2 diabetics. The three conditions here are eating carbohydrates first, eating carbohydrates last, which means in this case eating protein-rich foods and low-calorie vegetables first, and then eating the, the carbohydrates uh, after that. And a sandwich condition where you eat carbohydrate-rich foods, 
low-calorie vegetables and protein-rich foods at the same time. So probably better mimicking how most people eat their food. The results they got here is that glucose is much lower at 60 minutes for the COPS last condition. That is the condition where the participants ate their carbohydrates last and their protein-rich and um, low-calorie vegetables first. There's also a difference at 30 minutes and at 90 minutes. At 120 minutes and beyond that, the difference is, is very small and statistically non-significant. They also measured insulin, and for insulin, the differences were less pronounced, um, but they did find that what's called the incremental area on the curve, IAUC, was lower and also GLP-1 release was higher in the CAPS last com condition compared to the CAPS first. So the takeaway from this study really was that eating carbohydrates last, and that is eating protein-rich foods and vegetables first, produced an attenuated post-meal blood glucose curve and the same for insulin uh, with a higher GLP-1 release. The following year, Shukla et al. produced a new study, Shukla et al. 2018. And this time it's pre-diabetics. It's more or less the same study with pre-diabetics. However, they scratched the sandwich condition for this one. Um, instead, they have another fruit condition, which is vegetables first. So the three conditions are carbs first, where you first eat your carbohydrate-rich foods, have a 10-minute break. Then you eat your protein-rich and foods and your vegetables. Then we have the reverse of that. You eat your protein-rich foods and your vegetables first, have a 10-minute break, and then you eat your carbohydrate-rich foods. And then the new condition, vegetables first, have a 10-minute break, and then you eat your protein and your carbohydrates last. Okay, so what are the results? So for glucose, um, the carbs first meal, you see very unstable glucose levels, and on average, they're higher. They're much higher at 60 minutes where they peak for cups first um, compared to both of the other conditions. They're also higher at 30 minutes and the area under the curve is also higher. That is, the accumulated glucose is higher. The two other conditions look very similar, though protein and vegetable first seems to do a little better on, um, on glucose than eating only vegetables first. The difference is not statistically significant, however. On insulin, veggies first is much lower than carbohydrates first. Protein and veggies first is in the middle and not statistically significantly different from either of the two other conditions. So basically what they're finding is the best way to control blood glucose is to eat your vegetables and protein first and then you eat carbohydrates afterwards. But eating your vegetable first and then eating your protein and carbohydrate also works. However, maybe you'll get a lower insulin release if you eat your vegetables first and then proteins and carbohydrates afterwards. The first study I want to go through is actually from 2016, Trigo et al. 2016. Uh, it's another research team. They conducted an eight-week diet experiment with 17 type 2 diabetes participants. The participants were randomized to either a control diet or a diet where they ate their fatty and protein-rich foods first and their carbs last. The emphasis in the instruction was on lunch and dinner. The control group was not instructed to eat their foods in a specific order. 
Both groups were placed on a controlled diet, which was similar between the two groups, and both groups lost weight. However, for lunch and dinner, the glucose excursions were lower in the experimental group than in the control group. The study lends credence to this method having long-term impact beyond the immediate post-meal period. So that was the studies I wanted to present today. I think they have a, a really interesting takeaway, which is that if you eat your carbohydrates after your protein and your vegetables, the following rise in blood sugar is attenuated. But they also leave some questions. One of the questions they leave is, does this work in people who are not on the type 2 diabetic spectrum? That is, given that they have better post-meal blood glucose control, would this still make a relevant difference? The first two studies I mentioned had the participants eating carbohydrates for 10 minutes, a 10-minute break and then eating their vegetables or protein for 10 minutes, or the reverse. The other question left in my mind was, would this still work if you've removed that 10-minute break in between? That is, if you had the meat, vegetables, and proteins first, and then eat the carbohydrates right after without having that 10-minute break in between. So I could have left it at that, but I chose to try and find out. Now, I can't answer the first question, whether it works in general on people who are not type 2 diabetic or pre-diabetics, but I'm neither of those, and and either way, I would be interested to see if it works specifically in me. So I recently did a small series of self-experiments with a finger prick glucometer. Basically, I ate 324 grams of banana, raw banana, I should say, that's a roughly three medium-sized bananas. And I ate them either alone, with chicken filet and eggs 10 minutes after I finished the bananas, or with chicken filet and eggs 10 minutes before I ate the bananas. Now, just to make sure there aren't any misunderstandings, when I say chicken filet, it's exactly that. It's not something that's buttered or battered in, in any uh, breadcrumbs or anything like, like that. It's the filet of a chicken breast. So it's just chicken meat, very lean chicken meat, that is, just to just to make sure we're on the same page. I did fry it in olive oil, though. So I'll post the setup of my trial in the show notes if I can fit it in there. At baseline, my glucose was between 4.5 and 4.9. And this was not different between any of the conditions. Uh, there was no, it didn't tend to be higher in, in one condition versus the other. Um, I, I randomized which days was which, by the way. In my carbohydrates last condition, my highest measurements, that is the peaks, were 6.3 to 6.5. In my carbohydrates first, so that is I first eat free bananas, then I wait for 10 minutes, and then I eat my chicken and eggs. They peaked at between 8.3 and 9.2. In my only carbs, that is only bananas, my my peaks were 7.6 to 9.2. I should say that I measured my blood glucose fasting um, 30 minutes after eating the carbohydrate-rich foods, 60 minutes after eating the carbohydrate-rich foods, at 90 minutes and 120 minutes. So in other words, for me, it seemed to work. The 
when I ate carbohydrates alone or I ate my carbohydrates first, the peaks were higher. The carbs last condition and the carbs first condition both return to baseline within 60 minutes, whereas carbs only return to baseline within 90 minutes. So I said earlier that the second question that remained in my mind after reading these studies was, would this work if you remove the 10-minute break? So following the self-experiments I just mentioned, I followed those experiments up with the same experiments, that is carbohydrates last, but with no 10-minute break in between. At 30 minutes, my glucose was 5.4 to 7.7, whereas in the previous carbs last, it was 6.3 to 6.5. So a little more variation, but quite similar. Um, In the uh, carbs first conditions, my readings was 8.3 to 9.2. So I'd say that looks like a difference to me. I previously mentioned that my carbs last and carbs first condition had returned to baseline at 60 minutes, and this was also the case when I removed that 10-minute break. The numbers really look quite similar to the previous test I'd done on the carbohydrates last. So just to sum up the takeaways from my self-experiments here, it seems to work in me. Carbs last is better at 30 minutes than the carbs only condition and the carbs first condition. And the 10 minute break in between eating the protein rich foods and the carbohydrate rich foods doesn't seem to make a difference. Furthermore, the carbohydrates last condition and the carbohydrates first condition are still lower at 60 minutes than the carbohydrates only condition. After 90 minutes, it doesn't really seem to make a difference anymore. The peaks are also higher in the carbohydrates only and carbohydrates first condition than it is in the carbohydrates last condition. So how could you test this on yourself? So first of all, you need a glucometer. Um, I used a fingerprint one. You need to make sure you standardize your conditions. You randomize the intervention versus control days, and then you can replicate your findings. You need to accept some amount of uncertainty. Don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good, but do prepare seriously. So here's a quick run through of uh, how a test protocol could look. First of all, bring through the whole experiment step by step, including cooking methods and so on. Make a written plan. Step one, make sure you're fasted at least eight hours without eating. 10 or 12 hours may be preferable. So it's probably best to do it in the morning um, at your breakfast. Two, when you once you get up, you pee and then you hydrate. I want you to measure out the amount of water you're drinking or, or, or any other liquid. Make sure it's the same liquid and the same amount on each experimental day. So I would take one glass of water, 200 to 250 milliliters. I just drink to the same line on the glass uh, every time. I should say I also had coffee with my before my um, experiments, um, as I've tested several times, and coffee doesn't seem to Im- impact my uh, my glucose at all. I had coffee on all, all days, so it really shouldn't shouldn't make a difference. And then you can see I had more or less the same starting uh, baseline glucose as well. Step three. Measure your fasting blood glucose with a finger break or your baseline blood glucose. Step four, don't move too much about. Choose days where you can be inactive for a couple of hours in the morning as physical activity will attenuate a rise in blood sugars. If you do have to move, say bike to work, for instance, make sure you do so in the same manner and at the same time relative to when you eat on all the test days. Five, randomize the condition. So you could flip a coin, for instance, on whether it will be carbs first or it will be carbs last meal. 
on that day um, if you're testing the effect of a meal order. Step six, weigh and or measure your foods. Okay, so eyeballing it or counting in most cases won't be good enough to make sure you're actually eating the same thing. A couple of grams of variation is fine, but you don't want tens of grams of variation between the different uh, trial days. Step seven, cook the meal. Make sure to write everything down immediately, including the cooking methods. Step eight, eat it. Make sure to note the exact time you start eating. Write it down. Step nine, measure post-meal blood sugar. Um, I measured it at 30 minutes, 60 minutes, 90 minutes, and 120 minutes after starting to eat the carbohydrates. I would write out in advance when these 30-minute intervals are, and you might want to set alarms um, on your phone or watch or whatever, um, just so you remember to, to take the measurements. Should you forget to take a measurement, take it immediately upon remembering, stick to the original time plan. Um, so let's say you forgot your 30-minute measurement, you realize that 40 minutes has passed, you take a measurement immediately, um, and then at 60 minutes, not at 70 minutes, but at 60 minutes, you, you take the next measurement. Obviously, the 40-minute measurement can't uh, be used as a 30-minute measurement, but it still will give you some idea of, of where things were. You could also skip it, but still take the 60 minutes at, at the right time as well. All right, that was it for self-experimentation. Before we end the episode, I just quickly want to sum up the two main points, uh, which were, while carbohydrates are not bad, poorly controlled blood sugar is, and I think this is applicable to a fairly large portion of the general population. And two, eating carbohydrates last in a meal can be a simple and straightforward way to control post-meal blood sugar. It seems to work really well in type 2 diabetics and pre-diabetics, and it's quite possible that it also might be worth the time in people with better glucose tolerance. That was it for this episode. Next time we'll be looking at a different topic. I have a couple different ones lined up that I'm looking forward to sharing with you. Feel free to let me know your thoughts on the first two episodes. Until next time, be nice, help each other, and for those of you who opt for it, give the carbs last meal pattern a try. Over and out.